Holy cow, everybody, an exciting week for me. It's the week that the documentary, my very first documentary, Psychonautics, is premiering. I am so excited. It's coming out this Friday on the 15th at 5 p.m. We still have a lot of seats I would love to fill. We're selling better than any other documentary in the Dances with Films uh, film festival, but we still have, I would, I would love to see the thing sell out. You know, this is, this means that the industry people, the potential distributors, that sort of thing, they, they see that there's a packed house of, of interested people that are motivated to go out and seek this kind of a film, this kind of subject matter, and that will help us get a better distribution deal, which will help more people worldwide see this film. It will help my career out it will uh, open up doors for me to do um things more documentaries maybe even a docu series or something in in the future and so anything you can do to help would be much appreciated and don't forget the sci-fire festival is happening the same night so it's the official after party of the psychonautics uh documentary so the documentary is at 5 p.m so you'll be out of there at seven or whatever. There's a there's going to be a Q and A at the documentary, and there's also a meet and greet. So seven eight o'clock, you'll get over there. Then you'll go over to the Sci Fi Festival where you'll give them the movie stub that you paid fifteen dollars for, and that's going to get you fifteen dollars off of your ticket for the Sci Fi Festival. And all the proceeds that they make from that are going to be benefiting the aware project in la and the maps organization which you guys all know and love already so you'll get to have a good fun night of seeing a documentary and then going to a crazy psychedelic uh party festival lecture series with bands and information and amazing artists and performers all that in one night and you'll get to hang out with me and it is going to be a killer time so please please spread the word to anyone that you can anyone that's remotely in psychedelics that lives remotely close to la uh, is really missing out if they don't check this out even if you've never done a psychedelic before i mean don't you want to see the amazing wonderful circus that is a psychedelic event of course you do if you if you don't it's because you've never been to one before and you don't understand how awesome and fun they are and you especially need to go so much did you just hear my ridiculous uh um text message alert on my phone um i uh, there's going to be much better music than that at this <laughs> that was a really smooth cover up wasn't it super smooth um but anyway any anything you guys can do to help would be so so very helpful uh again i didn't i didn't ask for kickstarter or or do any fundraising for this documentary or anything i didn't hound you guys week after week, month after month to give me all your monies so that I could make this film. We did it all ourselves. And now all I need is for you to spread the word to something that your friends are going to love that you told them about. So uh, it's, it's a, it's a win-win. Um, thank you guys and enjoy today's episode.
Are we? Yes. Where are we? Here. Why are we here? Not entirely clear. We are misfits thrust into existence by random chance with no hints at all as to how we're supposed to make sense of it all. It's immensely bizarre. Here we are. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Here We Are podcast. Today, I'm talking with third-year behavioral neuroscience grad student at OHSU, Elena Thomas is joining me today. How are you doing, Elena? I, uh, are you so good. proud of me? That was Thank good. You. That was really yeah. good. I, I, the listeners, no, I prep every guest for how bad I'm going to this do. This is the intro. first. I, I just nailed. I knocked it first out of the time. Park. Knocked it out of the park. Yeah, you'd think it'd be. It's like one sentence, an easy name. You'd think like I wouldn't even worry about such a thing, but I do, and it usually goes poorly. Uh, first, first yeah. time you nailed yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. It was uh, one, one of the. Well, I mean, one out of every four. One out of over four. Yeah, but that's a pretty low number. That's, I feel like that's pretty good. I mean, okay. I feel like that's pretty good. I would... I'd be all like anxious about it. I feel like you're doing really well. <laughs> like... Thank you. Um, well, I think you're already knocking it out of the park as a guest. <laughs> you're being complimentary. To, well, I mean, that's no, that's probably the number one thing that I look for in a guest is are they complimentary of me and my hosting abilities? That's that's, like that's the main thing. Like you're working every. That's interesting. But it's if like you can validate me more, that yeah. would be the most <laughs> ideal situation. So neuroscience. Neuroscience. Woo! Neuroscience is awesome. Stuff. It sure is. Yeah. Um, I, I talk about on the show all the time. It's one, uh, one of my favorite. I think it's one of the listeners' favorite topics. Yeah. Sometimes a little jargony, sometimes a little intimidating. Um, but I was looking over some of your work and I mean, all neuroscience is insanely complicated, but your stuff seems like, uh, it's, it's very grounded in, in kind of the everyday, uh, I, I think a lot of people are going to, I, we're going to be talking about emotion regulation. Yeah. This is, we, most of us have emotions. Yep. A, good, a good number of us have. <laughs> most most have, people have emotions. Have emotions. <laughs> can probably identify like, with this. Yeah. So first off, uh, this is this is the big. Um, uh, I ask a lot of hard hitting questions. All right. Uh, how did you get into this emotion <laughs> regulation? All right. So I I did the whole thing when I was younger, where I thought I wanted to be a doctor. I had like whole family being like you should be a doctor, and so I was I was on this career trajectory for a long time, um, kind of doing something that I wasn't really that interested in. And while I was doing that, I uh, got really interested in mental health. Uh, and I kind of realized that, like, my own family has a lot of mental health issues. Uh, I myself have, like, an anxiety disorder, and I suffer from anxiety and depression. Uh, and I started doing work in this. Hey, depression, buddy! Depression! Yay, depression and anxiety! I'm, uh, yeah, I'm right I don't there. have that much anxiety, but <laughs> depression, know? I'm right there with you. Yeah, yeah. So I, yeah, and then I, I kind of realized, um, you know, we should We should have a depression off by the end <laughs> We should of have a depression off? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> We were we were already before the episode. We were already like within within two. It's funny. It's funny that neither of us knew about each other's mental health issue, and we were talking for like two minutes and talking about how everything is pointless. (laughs) Everything is pointless and meaningless. We matter. Yeah, and free will might be a thing. Maybe probably probably not though. But yeah, yeah. (laughs) But yeah, so I um. Yeah, I got really interested in mental health. I started working in a neurochemistry lab um, doing work on rodents. And we were, like, measuring neurotransmitter release in real time. Like, we were actually seeing these rodents do different behaviors and measuring, like, dopamine release in different brain regions. 
like mm-hmm. in real time. And I was like, holy cow, this is really, really cool. And then I realized that there are all the different brain regions and neural circuits that contribute to all these different mental health issues and that there's a potential for you to actually modify these these different brain regions to potentially, you know, cure mental illness, you know, or at least or at least, you know, help it. And I think I think also acknowledging the neural circuitry that's, you know, relevant for mental health makes mental health a lot more legitimate for people. Like there's this huge stigma against mental illness. There's this idea that we can just we can just control our mental health. We can just try harder. We can just stop worrying. We can just be happy. Uh, yeah, and, it's, it's the like, uh, yeah, the pull up your bootstraps. Yes. Sort of th- I think I, uh, I guess um boots, boots and their straps must have been a, more of a thing back <laughs> way then. back when yeah um, i don't really think that's a thing anymore i i i often because as as i just got out of like a really really rough uh couple month depression and yeah now i'm like doing really well right now that's awesome. um and the i mean the difference between just like my reading comprehension my it people think like oh you're just like being lazy or something when you're yeah. like no i would like to be working yes. i'm happier when i'm like working and yes. doing things i just can't i just you, can't yeah is you know it's frustrating is that you would think uh this is just uh, Part of the frustrating thing about being human. Oh, well, this is now there's a, we're getting yeah. into an endless list of frustrating <laughs> things of the human condition. Yeah. Here's just a small one I was thinking about in my depressive state. The bed. It's the most comfortable place in the whole house. You would think mm-hmm. from like, uh, more of like a utilitarian kind of aspect that it would like logically, yeah. if we were robots, you go like, well, wouldn't you want to be in the most comfortable, comfortable spot? spot? Yeah, like, just like stay here. And like work from there and everything else. Yeah, but yeah. that's that is where depression like really gets that's its where it claws lives. in. Yeah. You just don't want to get out of bed. You yeah. don't want to Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's um kind of getting back to emotion regulation. That's kind of like an attempt to regulate these emotions that you're feeling, right? Like you're you're just really down, you're really sad, and you're you're putting yourself in a context where you think you can, you know kind of control that and make yourself feel better so you're trying to regulate your emotions in that instance you're trying to like hey i'm i'm you know putting myself in this really comfy spot this is my bed i know i'm safe here uh and with depression it's just it just doesn't it doesn't work like right. you're, you're making the attempt but yeah that you got that neural circuitry that's like kind of fighting against you you know yeah i think my brain's like coming up with <laughs> Uh, solutions that it's not like running by my consciousness, <laughs> yeah, you know, like, yeah, totally. like I think there's like my, my non-conscious world is going like, what if we, what if we just nap through this administration? <laughs> like maybe you'll feel better yeah, yeah. after. And like, if you just nap off this, like you, you only have like three more years to, uh, of napping and then maybe things will be fine. Yeah. Uh, I wish I could have a talk with that part like, of my brain and be like, look. Oh, I don't think that's practical. I don't, <laughs> you don't understand not- what I'm expecting experiencing yeah. out here i don't think that'll work brands all like we shouldn't be seeing anybody right now we're just you know everybody's really you know they, they think horrible things about us and you're like no they don't brain and your brain's like yes they do <laughs> like yeah it's kind of that yeah that's a, that's a that's a cool way of thinking about it i think about that a lot too like there's like a conscious component and then there's an unconscious component right mm-hmm. and consciously you're aware of certain things but kind of your unconscious sneaks in there and uh I always like to attribute a lot of stuff to amygdala hyperactivity, right? Like you're, I always like to think about the amygdala as this, uh, especially with anxiety um, and a lot of these kind of disorders that you have emotional dysregulation, which basically means that you're, you can't regulate these negative feelings that you're experiencing, you know, like you're, you're constantly worrying, you're, uh, 
you're really, really, really sad and you can't control it. And you're trying to. You're trying to sleep. You're trying to like meditate, jog, mm -hmm. do all the things, do all the drugs. I often feel bad for <laughs> um, feeling bad. Right? Like, yeah. That's... Yeah. And that's that's like, yeah, that's rumination. Like yeah. you, you literally feel bad about your feelings. Yeah. And then you're just you're just stuck in it. You're just stuck in the space, and you can't. Yeah, hmm. it's hard to get out of it. Um. So so back to uh, I, I see we're we're gonna go so. we're gonna launch into so many. <laughs> I jump. can already tell that we're this. It's great. I love tangents. <laughs> this is kind of conversation that I yeah. always hope to have. Um. And then I just gotta find my way back to what, where, <laughs> yeah. where we started. So. Yeah. So you you started in neuroscience. You were yes. working with rats, and then working with rats. Uh, and then I got interested in. I got really interested in mental health. I um I volunteered at a couple different like mental health organizations. Um, and I when I was pre med, I realized that we're treating a lot of these mental illnesses. We're treating the symptoms. We're not necessarily treating the underlying disorder. So we're medicating symptoms of anxiety rather than really targeting exactly what's going on. And I, I didn't want to just treat symptoms. I wanted to treat like the underlying issue. And I feel like the underlying issue is really targeting that, like the neural circuitry that's going wrong, you know, like where are you getting too much, ser too little serotonin? Where are you getting too little dopamine? Mm. Um, and how can we, how can we target these regions and, uh, and have like a long-term effect, you know? Do you ever worry about the uh, like the brain candy effect? Are you familiar with the movie no. Brain Candy? No, what's that? Oh, you should watch it. You would like it. Yeah. It's uh, the kids in the hall. Uh, you know the kids in the hall. Oh, uh, that's okay. How old are you? Twenty eight. I uh, uh, that's inappropriate. Are you? Is it okay to ask? <laughs> that's okay. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I'm thirty seven. Yeah. So yeah, I guess okay. they were. Those uh, like older. Yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's a comedy sketch. They made a movie called Brain Candy where they basically the um, pharmaceutical companies like kind of um, – I, I haven't seen the movie in probably 20 years. Yeah. But uh, they are advancing the uh, antidepressants until they find one where like – everyone's just happy all of the time but then yeah. they're kind of like zombies uh yeah do you worry about that with with i mean because we've talked sometimes uh, a, a few times on the show we've we've talked about um you know some of the some of the functions of of some of these negative states where we don't necessarily want to feel them like something like pain where you don't necessarily want to feel it but it's maybe alerting you to the, this legitimate threat and, and maybe some of our anxieties and depressions are doing the same thing. So, yeah. so if you were to say knock out the, if, I go the other way with it and I tend to romanticize my depression too and be like, Oh, this is when I get all of my best ideas from when I do feel like writing yeah. once, a, once a week. But, um, man, I'm all over the place right now. No, you're good. Um, <laughs> but is it, I, I just, I wonder if you're able to adjust whatever serotonin dopamine levels is it yeah. are people are people like when I go to CrossFit I've been going and people are just like I've never seen happier people in my yeah. entire life and I'm like are they, do these people like think and have thought they just seem like these autonomous robots yeah, yeah. do you worry about that if if you're able to like completely knock out yeah so I guess I don't I don't think about it in terms of like knocking things out i think more about like like how the environment affects mm -hmm. you so so with things like 
for like anxiety, for example, right? Like uh, anxiety has a genetic component and it also has like a huge environmental component. Uh, and so if you have an anxiety disorder, um, it's typically that means that you have, yeah, there's like somebody in your family has an anxiety disorder, but also you've been raised in an environment or even when you were in utero, you were being given these like stress signals, right? So, so maybe, and this is actually, this is actually a paper we just came out with in our, in our lab, um, which is showing that the level of maternal stress. So if a mom is pregnant and she's getting really stressed out, mm -hmm. um, she's sending signals to her developing fetus and that affects the fetus's like developing brain. And so that brain is developing in anticipation of a really stressful environment. Right. And, and it must be this, there must be like yes. lions everywhere yes. out there if these sorts of hormones yeah. are coursing through me. Totally. And the same thing during childhood. So if you grew up in kind of like a stressful environment, uh, then you're you're going to develop accordingly. You know, you're gonna your amygdala is gonna be like, oh man, everything is really scary because it's trying to keep you safe. Like your your body and your brain is ultimately just trying to keep you safe, and and that turns pathological when you you no longer need to have this kind of like hyper reactivity to everything. Mm. You know, it's like maybe at one point in life this was really beneficial to you, uh, and it's and it's great that 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 happened when it did. But now you've got to you've got to kind of dial it back and and do things like therapy or like. You know, mm -hmm. meditation and really kind of work on rewiring these. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I think that way. I, I think that about my own depression a lot with uh, like sometimes I'm like, is this just out of habit that I'm feeling depressed? Because right now I have I'm not saying right now this. Yeah. Second, yeah. Career, but but many times in my career, things have been like going great and. Yeah. You know, seemingly everything's like yeah. falling into place and I'm productive and everything else. I'm like, what, what is, what's my deal? Why am I depressed right now? Yeah. There's no, like, I understand when I was depressed when I was like in school getting picked on and like yelled at by teachers and my parents and yeah. every adult and authority figure or whatever. And like, then depressed because I didn't know how to talk to girls or what? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Like it, it did make, it made yeah. sense back then. Yeah. But now like what, what? You're like, what's going on? Yeah. What's going on brain? We're doing fine. And then, yeah, I think part of that is, uh, is definitely there could have, there could have been an environmental component that like triggered the depression that you're not necessarily aware of. Um, and, and then, yeah. And then you, and then you engage in this behavior. And this, this also goes back to emotion regulation where, where you kind of beat yourself up for, for being in this state, which just ends up making you feel even worse. <laughs> and yeah. then you're just, you're just like really in it. Yeah. And then you're sleeping all day and like, yeah, really trying to make yourself feel better. My mom, who's just the sweetest, uh, anyone that's ever met her is just like, I wish I had your mom, but oh. she has these, she, she is like one of the most anxious people I've ever met in my entire life and very OCD and everything like yeah. worry her, her motto is like, Oh, it's a mother's job to worry. <laughs> like she thinks like, it's great that she worries. That's yeah. like what she should be doing. Yeah. And so I, that's what I grew up. And I don't know if that got transferred to me. I don't know. I, I was, yeah. Who knows? Yeah. We all have our things have as our child, things. but the idea that like something like my mom, just having whatever her anxieties were rubbing off on me at, as like a three-year-old or whatever yeah, and then yeah. that that now affecting me as a 37 year old yeah. is just it's, uh, it's it's crazy yeah but it, it kind of makes sense just because you're you're developing so much when you're younger like your your brain is so plastic up until like your early 20s and so your your brain is really i mean you're like unconsciously you're taking in all this information mm -hmm. you know and, and it's adjusting accordingly it's like all right we're we're preparing mm -hmm. we're getting you ready for your environment yeah. 
So what are you, uh, what specific work are you doing now? So I'm really interested in basically the neural circuitry that contributes to emotion regulation at birth. So I do, I do scans on babies. I scan a whole bunch of babies like neonates. We're talking like two day old, two day old, very, very fresh babies. Mm. Uh, and I'm looking to see basically if there's neural circuitry at birth that predicts their emotion regulatory ability at six months of age. And so the idea is if we can figure out, you know, like the contributing neural circuits, we could figure out, you know, how we could influence the environment to basically allow these infants to develop normally and not be at risk for all these different psychopathologies. Because if there's all this research that shows, and, and you probably you probably know this, like if you have a hard time regulating your emotions and your feelings and you you experience these like really just like intense negative emotions that you can't and you can't make yourself feel better, that contributes to like ADHD, anxiety, depression, schizophrenia, like basically every single psychopathology mm-hmm. it can stem from and be exacerbated from an inability to regulate your emotions. Mm. And so, yeah, I mean, it, it's definitely it can be hard to if you're like sitting in class as as a young kid and like, tr- yeah trying to pay attention to whatever today's history lesson is. Yeah. And then you're off in your mind thinking about how nothing makes any sense and everything is pointless and yeah. there's no purpose in life. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, gonna... <laughs> oh, yeah, I guess I don't really care about Christopher Columbus that much. Either. Like, I don't even care that much about my own life. Why would I care about <laughs> Christopher, Christopher Columbus? Columbus. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, so what are these uh, mechanisms that uh, – how are they working? What, what are you looking at looking exactly? At, so we're looking at – it's called resting state functional connectivity. Mm-hmm. So basically we measure brain activity while these infants are sleeping. And at rest, when you're not doing anything, you have these different components of your brain that are communicating with each other. So you have all these different networks that are on – are turned on or turned off depending on what you're – depending on what you're doing, mm-hmm. right? And so we're we're A, determining like – what these networks are at birth, because they haven't really been fully defined. Like they've been defined in adults, but they haven't really been defined in babies. And then B, like which of these networks contributes to emotion regulation? So like does the connectivity between this network and this network, you know, predict emotional regulatory beha- behavior? Does uh how much connectivity you have within this network? Like these regions are all like really heavily talking to each other at birth. And this seems to result in like, you know, better emotion regulatory behavior later on. Um, and then – and then I'm also I'm also interested in uh in like specific brain regions. So I'm I'm really into the amygdala. I'm into the amygdala in like a really weird way. I'm really into the amygdala. Well, it's a popular one. <laughs> it's a really popular You're not one. Alone. It's a really popular one. So um so yeah so like amygdala connectivity to the uh medial prefrontal cortex or I guess more specifically the ventromedial prefrontal cortex uh basically is is kind of a really big gauge for emotion regulatory behavior. So so basically what happens is your amygdala. Your amygdala sees something and it freaks out. Your amygdala like sees a person. It's just like, oh man, this person's gonna think you're like a horrible person. It just it just starts like freaking out. Mm-hmm. It sees a cat and it's like this cat's gonna eat you. And then your ventromedial prefrontal cortex is is like, all right, it's cool. We've seen this cat before. Calm down. And basically, the amount of activity that your amygdala is spewing out relative to the amount of activity that your ventromedial cortex is spewing out determines, you know, whether you're gonna be able to regulate that emotion or not. Ah, uh, yeah, that makes sense. So it's kind of like a yeah, I like to think of them as just like two people just yelling at each other, you know? Hmm. The amygdala is just like, oh my God, everything's horrible. And the VMPFC is like, it's it's all right. It's okay. Hmm. Either like we've done this before or like, look, there's a there's a bird we can focus on. Let's focus on that instead of freaking out. Like, So this is, this is not that indifferent from just 
like impulse control, say. Or... It's similar. So impulse control can definitely be a part of it, I guess. I mean, I mean, in the way that you have like uh, um, a reaction to uh, to something to to blurt out something in a social situation or whatever, and then and then you have. Uh, yeah. your prefrontal cortex being like, oh, no, not right now. That's not appropriate. And yeah. then you drink and shut that down, and then everything comes spewing out. <laughs> and then everything comes emotions out. Emotions kind of do the same thing. Yeah, emotions kind of do the same thing. And, it, hmm. well, so the more emotional regulation that one has, kind of the better off they are in life overall. Is this, is, is, is this, I mean, that's hard <laughs> that's to... Kinda... I, I mean, is it is the I'm I'm from Wisconsin. Yeah. I'm from the Midwest. Yeah. Where just like no one ever talks about their feelings. Nobody talks about emotion. their feelings. Yeah. Like, are you telling me they're doing it right? <laughs> is that is that is that what they're supposed to? Be? I don't think. I mean, I think like talking about feelings, acknowledging feelings is great. And um, yeah, one of the one of the things with regulation is there's this thing called suppression, where it's actually really bad for you to suppress your emotions mm-hmm. and your feelings. So we have uh, yeah, when we talk about emotion regulation, it's not necessarily like not expressing emotions. Okay, but it's it's just more of being able to like get yourself out of a negative state like you just don't have these like really long negative states so yeah you worry and yeah you're sad but you're not you swept don't fall away in you're a, not swept away in this in this negative state or or similarly you don't get like so happy that you're doing all of these like you know crazy things like like with like a manic episode for example right, right? Uh, you can you can get swept away in kind of this like really positive emotion. I'm gonna turn toast into bread. <laughs> yes. Don't ask me how or why. <laughs> I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna do it now. I, I have a vision. <laughs> that's what, that's how and why. You buy everything on Amazon. You're like, I don't know why this is at my house now, but it is. Like, yeah, yeah. So being able to you know regulate those feelings and recognize right. like oh i feel good now but um i'm not going to maybe buy a giant inflatable like rooster on amazon you know right yeah i often i i feel like i'm going to be like homeless one day because of <laughs> just because of amazon and like, my <laughs> like, my impulse I, yeah. i'm going to ha- People are gonna like drive by my my box and be like, "Was that a Brookstone under that bridge?" <laughs> so I'm gonna have like a massage chair and a Segway and stuff in my in my little camp. You don't have house, but you're very yeah, <laughs> but you're I very got relaxed. All the modern, yeah, <laughs> uh, uh, like toys. I'll, I'll have like four different drones, but no house. Yeah, yeah. So so this is these are the the oh, kind good. of consequences yeah. of of lacking uh, that regulation. Yeah. Okay. So. So then what are you measuring at six months then? I yeah. mean, I understand wanting wanting to uh, get in there as early as possible, but how, yeah. are, how are you able to measure emotion regulation in a six-month-old? Yeah, yeah, babies. Babies actually do engage in emotion regulation, which is which is crazy. I uh, This is one of the things being a part, being in grad school, I wasn't interested in babies at all before I came here, and now I'm realizing like, wow, babies actually do, they actually do a lot of stuff. Uh, and so... So babies regulate their emotions. Uh, typically, they rely on their caregivers. So if a baby's super sad, its mom will, you know, hold it or cuddle it. Or if it's super stressed out by a stimulus, its mom might take it away from the stimulus. But similarly, the baby can engage in behaviors on its own. So you see babies like sucking their thumbs. You see babies like covering their eyes. You see babies uh, distracting themselves. Right. So your babies, babies will actually, if they see a distressful stimuli, um, they'll like distract themselves with something else. And you can actually look at this behavior, hmm. which is really cool. And so we do this in something called the still face paradigm. 
And the Still Face Paradigm uh, is composed of three episodes. Uh, the first episode, you watch a mom and infant just play. They're just going back and forth doing their thing. Uh, and then in the second episode, this is called the Still Face episode, the mom maintains a neutral face. And she just stares at the baby. And the baby's like, what's going on? This is, this is like super stressful for the baby because this is a person that uh, this infant has relied on, you know, to regulate all these feelings and emotions. And now they're just doing this weird behavior and they're just staring at them. And so... I hope I remembered <laughs> to put the clip of this, the video that you sent me. Um, oh. Here we are podcast website. Yeah. Go on and check out this episode. I'll try to remember this <laughs> okay. video clip because yeah. I was... I was shocked. It's crazy, how, right? Yeah. Sorry. Continue. Oh no, you're but, good. Yeah, it's, it was. I was blown away by yeah. how fast this this happens and what yeah. the the intensity of the reaction. Absolutely. And so you see, like, like immediately when the mom does this, you know, neutral face, the baby's trying to engage her. So the baby will make like high pitched squeaky noises. It'll like reach out to mom and and do this thing called attention seeking, which is an attempt at emotion regulation. It's like, hey, this person who normally regulates my emotions is now not engaged. Let me get let me get her back. Let me get her back. Uh, and then, and then you'll see infants kind of, if an infant is good at regulating its emotions, it'll be like, okay, mom's doing something weird. It's stressing me out. Um, I'm going to do something else. And so these babies, they're, they're strapped in their car seat. And so you'll see them like mess with their little like strap and they're like messing with the strap. They're like sucking on their feet. They're sucking on their thumbs there and they don't look at mom. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's a big component of, uh, being able to regulate your emotions when you're a baby is uh, around four months of age, you gain the ability to like orient your intention voluntarily. And so they're like, this area over here is really stressful. I'm just not going to look at mom. Mom's being super weird. I'm going to do something else. Uh, and then babies who aren't able to regulate their emotions at this age will get very upset and they'll start like crying and they'll start like exhibiting what we call like escape behavior, which is when they like push up against their, uh, car seat straps and they're just like i want to get out of here i'm so upset i'm arching my back i'm like sobbing i just want to get out of here Mm. like i can't regulate this in this intense negative emotion Hmm. and then the last episode is the recovery episode where the mom uh, and baby re-engage and then and they just like re-engage in a play episode and during that episode you can you can kind of get an idea of what their relationship like how quickly they re-engage you know that's kind of that kind of gives you a sense of uh what the maternal attachment to this infant is and like what their relationship is like. So they're, and, and how upset the infant got. So if the mom's able to calm down her infant like pretty quickly, um, that's either a sign that A, she's like an incredibly good regulator for this baby or B, the infant wasn't that upset to begin with, you know? Hmm. Um, but I'm most interested in the still face episode. So I basically measure like the amount of regulatory behavior that happens and also the amount, um, like how upset these infants get. And I relate that to brain connectivity at birth hmm. that's the whole that's the whole thing <laughs> hey i'm andy if you don't know me it's probably because i'm not famous but i did start a men's grooming company called harry's the idea for harry's came out of a frustrating experience i had buying razor blades most brands were overpriced overdesigned, and out of touch At Harry's, our approach is simple. Here's our secret. We make sharp, durable blades and sell them at honest prices for as low as $2 each. We care about quality so much that we do some crazy things, like buy a world-class German blade factory. Obsessing over every detail means we're confident in offering a 100% quality guarantee. Millions of guys have already made the switch to Harry's, so thank you if you're one of them. And if you're not, we hope you give us a try with this special offer. Get a Harry starter set with a five-blade razor, weighted handle, shave gel, and a travel cover, all for just three bucks, plus free shipping. 
Just go to harrys.com and enter 8989 at checkout. That's harrys.com, code 8989. Enjoy. Hey guys, Randy and Jason here. And whether you're working from home or working on your fitness, you want what you're listening to to be what you're listening to. Not yeah, you don't want to catch like glimpses and uh, little snippets of like what snippets? other- Snippets? You know what I'm talking of what your kids are listening to or anyone else. Everyone needs a great pair of wireless earbuds. But before you go dropping hundreds of bucks on a pair, you need to check out the wireless earbuds from Raycon. They are amazing. I yes. got my Raycon earbuds. They so cancel out everything. Raycon earbuds start for about a half price of the other ones. Premium wireless earbuds on the market and they sound just as amazing as the top uh, audio brands. You know, the newest model, the Everyday E25 Airbuds are their best ones yet. Jay, I love these uh, so much. I'm using it nonstop, right? Six hours of playtime, seamless Bluetooth playing, more bass, more compact design, gives you a nice noise isolating fit. I like that if you have one of them in, you can just hear, use one of them. For They're stylish and discreet. I love these so much. Now's the time to get a pair, the latest and the greatest from Raycon. Get 15% off your order by Raycon.com. Uh, slash Starburns. That's by B-U-I, Raycon.com, R-A-Y-C-O-N.com, slash Starburns for 15% off Raycon wireless earbuds. I love these earbuds so much. I know you do too. I'm all about them, man. They're they're my reach. You know what you feel when you reach for them and that's and you the thing you reach for and that's my hike. Those are my hike earbuds. Those are my walking earbuds. Buy B-U-I, R-A-Y-C-O-N.com, slash Starburns for 15% off. The the idea of the distracting themselves, yeah. When and and this is like a six month old. This is a six month old. Yeah. Wow, that's uh, because they're not. This isn't. Uh, this isn't a very like uh, big like conscious awareness kind of world. So so the brain is, yeah, go, just kind of going. Well, we'll learn about straps now. Like this isn't any good. Staring at mom, we're gonna investigate yeah how, how how straps work for and and they're yeah. not uh, going back to free, free will there's not a whole lot of like conscious control not a whole lot that we know of i mean maybe, i mean maybe babies are yeah i i would i would say that probably there's not a whole lot of conscious control but hmm. i also don't know how much conscious control we have on a regular basis right. to begin with you know yeah yeah. Uh, well, we tell better and better stories about why we do the things that we do, certainly yeah. as we age. Not that we necessarily <laughs> have more control over it, but we come up with better reasons. Uh, yeah. Like you, you stand, when you stand for, um, for the flag and like memorize the anthem or whatever, when you're a kid, you're just memorizing words and you don't, you know, you're just taught a thing. And then later on in life, you're like, oh, this means freedom and liberty. And I, <laughs> my uh, grandfather went, oh, boy. and you like come up with more and more reasons yeah. to justify this, this conditioning. The behavior, yeah. Um, uh, it, it, there's so much, I'm really fascinated by, uh, by self deception too, especially that kind of not, non conscious work. Well, and deception in general uh, there yeah. because well babies will i think at six months babies will like laugh and check to see if if uh if anyone's around to like see them laughing or whatever and if yeah. someone's around they'll laugh more and if they're not they'll be like oh, i'll save it no one's around that's really interesting and I, when i think about that i guess i think about like it's it's rewarding, right? Like it's reward. It becomes rewarding for uh, them to laugh and then make somebody else laugh. Yeah. Uh, it's it's that like social component because we're social creatures. We want to we want to make people feel good. We want to we want to get reactions. We want to be acknowledged. We uh. Yeah. yeah. 
Because you'll see kids like uh, get get a uh, like an example I saw recently is a, a kid getting like picked up from a daycare and like everything's going fine. Yeah, they're they're enjoying themselves the whole day, and then mom or dad shows up or whatever, and then they throw this big fit like it's just been torture for them to be there <laughs> the whole time, and, and like look what you've done to me. Um, but this is all like the these, I mean, pretty fascinating. Um, complicated behaviors yeah. that seemingly i don't it seems like they don't have a lot of conscious control over yeah and, yeah and so there, there must be yeah i guess there must be all sorts of like evolutionary mechanisms built in um to i'm also i'm interested i know this isn't necessarily your work but but how uh kind of the 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 parent offspring conflict as well like how yeah. uh, the the offspring wanting as many resources as possible the parents wanting to like provide what they can but maybe not too much or you know then sibling rivalry and yeah and that sort of thing so yeah it's, it's, <laughs> it's a lot, a lot. <laughs> that's why we focus on these like tiny little yeah, you know yeah. okay back to the, the tiny the tiny little tiny little dot <laughs> <laughs> back to your tiny dots <laughs> my tiny dot <laughs> what what do the, what do the tiny dots tell you then so far the tiny dots so far um so far i've learned that scanning babies is really difficult it's really hard these are these babies are so they're they're naturally sleeping we're not we're not sedating babies or anything these are like so these babies have to be like well fed they have to like you know they're done pooping for like the hour or, or whatever. They like don't need to burp or anything. And then, uh, and they have to sleep in the scanner for an hour. And it's, uh, it's really hard. <laughs> it's really hard. We do, um, we typically have like nine hours per baby, mm. um, that we'll, we'll try the scan them for. So we'll have people come in for like three visits, uh, and it's their like three hour sessions. And it's a lot of like rocking the baby, like, <laughs> like, you know? Yeah, there, well, there must be a little temptation to sedate the baby. <laughs> like, I can can we sedate can we, this baby? We just put a, just a little, little bit, <laughs> a little something. Yeah, that would never, that would never be approved. That would never be approved. All my listeners are going to be out. Stop sedating babies with their protest signs. And stuff. My listeners are big protesters. They basically, like, within two weeks of any episode coming out, they're always protesting something. And we you're going to get the sedating baby. One. We do not sedate babies <laughs> we love babies so <laughs> so you don't sedate the baby so there's so that you 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 wait you're like okay i think they're sleeping now yeah so we uh yeah we have mom we have mom feed them in the room we have mom rock them in the room and then we do this thing where we uh put them on the scanner bed and then we kind of wait and i have my hand on their chest and i'm like feeling their breathing i'm feeling their heart rate and i'm like all right it seems Seems pretty steady. Seems like we got like a, you know, sleeping, breathing rate going on. And then I'm lifting the scanner bed up a little bit to see how they're reacting, you know? So I'm lifting the bed up and if the baby jerks, I'm like, okay, it's not asleep enough. I got to wait another like 10 minutes or so. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's kind of this like, yeah, it's just, it's just kind of a, it's just kind of a process. It's kind of a process. It's been, it's been awesome working with babies. Like I have like baby access, which is great. I get to like hold like four babies a week. Um, uh, but it's, it's really yeah. hard. And you're also – so when you're doing MRI scans, one of the big considerations is motion, right? Because if you're – if the head's moving around, then we don't actually know where the brain signal's coming from. So we're, we're like, packing these babies in there. Like, they're in vacuum pillows. We put, like, padding around their heads. And if you see them, they're just, like – they're just, like, really cozy, really snug. I want to see a picture of a vacuum-packed <laughs> a vacuum baby. vacuum-packed baby, yeah. And we have, like, a little weighted blanket on them. Oh, um, yeah. Uh, yeah, I – so – 
first off, what's your success rate with babies? You must you must get a baby. Yeah, you got this baby for nine hours. Yeah. Uh, and, and and this is just you're just trying to get one hour's worth of of testing done. I've done you got yeah. a nine hour window to do it. Yeah. You must. You must give a lot of babies back without having to <laughs> having uh, ever gotta, gotten anything yeah. from them. So our success rate right now out of it's actually it's actually pretty pretty decent. Out of twenty five babies, we have eleven good data from eleven. So that is actually pretty yeah, that is actually that's, that's actually bad. it's actually it's actually pretty good. Um Are you are you the best one with the babies in the, in your group? <laughs> Am I the best one the, with the babies? Yeah. I, uh... who, who, who's the best at getting them to sleep? Who's the, I... is, it a ba- is there a competition going <laughs> on? For baby, for baby whisperer. Yeah. <laughs> like certified baby whisperer. I like to think of myself as the baby whisperer, but I'm sure other people on the team would, you know, have their own. <laughs> we all like to think of ourselves as baby whisperers. Yeah. Do you have a, you don't have a child yourself? No, no. And so you just get to, this, exactly. is, this is nice. Because I don't, I like, I like dogs. Yeah. I travel too much. I can't, I can't do it, but I would, if I could just like Hang out have a little, uh, a little uh, uh, portable tub full of uh, yeah. a little pool full of like puppies <laughs> to just I hang go. out with yeah i don't know do they have services like that <laughs> where you just, just like, and, like roll around in puppies that for would be a pretty ideal like therapy service right yeah but that's what you get to do you get to do the <laughs> roll equip- around in babies 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 you're vacuum packing baby i mean hardly anyone gets to vacuum pack ba- i right. mean in the future amazon will be, in a, it'll be able ship to them to your house <laughs> yeah. i hate your baby it'll you're, it'll come it'll actually be close to like the stork thing in the future because amazon <laughs> will have their drones come out and ship their <laughs> ship their babies too. fresh baby uh, Fresh baby delivery. Uh, so <laughs> this is, it sounds so, like so much fun. Uh, it is, it is a lot of fun. I've, um, yeah, I really like it. And it's, uh, it's really cool because we are collecting. So I mentioned resting state fMRI, right? Uh, yeah. resting state MRI. And so we're collecting 30 minutes of resting state data, which basically means that we're measuring, uh, brain activity over the course of 30 minutes in this one baby. And typically, typically when people measure brain activity, they do it for maybe like six to 15 minutes, right? Mm -hmm. And so you have to do this thing where you, to figure out what's actually going on in the brain, you have to average across a bunch of different participants. You have to take like a bunch of different brains and be like, okay, for all of these participant brains, we saw this activity. That means that this, this system is a thing. Right. But since we're collecting so much resting state data in this baby, in these babies, like 30 minutes of resting state data, we're actually going to be able to characterize like what these networks look like in an individual baby, which is crazy. Like yeah. this has never been done before. Um, and it's going to be awesome. Well, so and then these babies, these same babies will come back in six months later. For the still face paradigm. Right. Yeah. 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 Okay. Oh, oh, and that's for the still fa- – oh, so they don't do – you don't have to do another vacuum packing. No, no oh. more vacuum packing. Because otherwise, that's like – that's really cutting down the chances of you getting <laughs> valuable data. You got to get them to sleep again and yeah, be yeah. a whole nightmare. Okay, yeah, so then yeah, yeah, yeah. I – all right, now yeah, I yeah. understand. Yeah. Okay, so – and then the ones that knock it out of the park, you, you separate them you, and you're measuring – how exactly are you measuring the uh, the criteria of 
uh, for the uh, emotion regulation. Uh, yeah, for the um, what's it, the still face data or yeah. whatever. Like, so you're sitting there with a pad and you're like yep. marking pen and uh, paper. Uh, how much time's gone by? What the intensity of the? So we're so we do so within that two minute episode every five seconds we're coding for uh, the effective state of the baby. So like if they're if they're in a positive, neutral, or negative state, mm-hmm. uh, and that's like is this baby happy? Is this baby really upset? Is this baby just like whatevs? You know, uh, I've, and- I've always wanted a whatevs baby. I, th- I, I think, <laughs> like, would you like a boy or a girl? Oh, whatever. As long as it's a whatevs baby, baby, then what else? Real chill, just yeah. real chill about everything. Uh, and then we're also coding um, regulatory behavior, so like whether or not they're engaging in regulatory behavior, uh, and then like their vocalizations. So regulatory behavior, like the distraction stuff. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So regulatory behavior, like uh, that attention seeking. So is this, this baby trying to re-engage with mom? Is this baby uh, playing with these straps over here? Is this baby uh, playing with its foot, <laughs> taking its socks off, you know, just doing anything to just not pay attention to mom being super weird and stressful. Yeah. Well, it is. I mean, <laughs> watching the video, just, <laughs> just cause I, I have a lot of people that are like drivers and stuff that listen. So yeah. they're not, uh, able to find this video even if i do happen to remember to put it on the website yeah so it's just to describe it for people the mom is sitting there making all these fa- you know someone hands you a baby and you're like Ooh, whoa, 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 and you're making all these wacky faces and smiling and stuff and the baby's just loving every second of it yeah and then all of a sudden the mom just goes total poker face is like real it's, it's, it's kind of creepy. It like, is. even as an adult watching it, I'm like, oh, I'm not comfortable with this. Yeah. And, then the, and then, like, the baby's still, like, laughing for a few seconds. And then it's just like, what? Wait, what's... Why'd that stop? Why did the fun stop? And yeah. then it gets confused for a few more. And then depending on the baby's ability to regulate yeah. is anywhere from a whatevs baby to a throwing fits. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. To getting really upset. And then, um, yeah. And so sometimes you'll see, and other times you'll see the baby like start to get upset and then be like, okay, mom's going to do this for a while. And then it'll start to distract itself. So it'll have this initial like, oh, I am getting upset about this. And then it kind of pulls back and is. Hmm. You know, babies so, are crazy. <laughs> <laughs> babies are crazy. <laughs> they are. Yeah. yeah they're, I mean, they come out of <laughs> bodies. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. Oh, for now. For We're now. In the, in the future, we'll Amazon. have some other, <laughs> some other, <laughs> an easier system. Yeah. Uh, uh, but when you when you talked about how you're mapping the specific differences right now and you're yeah. building the network this has never been done before yeah. so what what specifically are you mapping so we're we're mapping what brain regions are communicating with what other brain regions uh so so when you're so when you're talking about the brain signal um we and if this is too much detail just be like alina calm down like no, so let me no, know I... <laughs> let me know I, uh, we need to. We need I to get into some like, like detail. Yeah, put, we need to up the science. Yeah. The, okay. No, no, not you and I. Okay. Like me and the listeners. We, okay. We need to chal- We need to keep on pushing ourselves. It's All been right. three and a half years. This is episode one hundred eighty something or other. All right. And then uh, they can handle yeah, it. I think they can, guys handle, can handle it. it. Yeah. All right. So when you're measuring the brain signal, it's something called the bold signal. 
Bold stands for. Uh, I'm out. <laughs> You're done. That was it. <laughs> the terminology just gonna that's, start. That's, to sneak that's in. the second week in a row I've used that exact same joke, and <laughs> as, I'm gonna keep on using it on every neuroscientist from now on. Yeah, the jargon sneaks in No, we can handle it. Give it to me, and then I just shut you down <laughs> immediately. Like, no. That's my. <laughs> That's my fun prank that I do on scientists. <laughs> it works every time. Uh, okay. <laughs> okay. So, okay. so yeah. But for, for reals. For reals. For reals. Okay. Bold signal. Yep. It's called, it's the blood oxygen level dependent signal. And basically, so when you're in, an MRI is like a giant magnet, right? And we're measuring basically changes in blood flow in the brain. So when you have activity in a brain region, you get a whole bunch of oxygen sent to that region, like it via hemoglobin. And the hemoglobin molecule is made up of you've got like iron in the middle and then you've got these oxygens that are hanging out. So the hemoglobin rushes to this brain region, drops off all these oxygens. And then for a second, you have that that iron's actually exposed. And iron is paramagnetic, which means that if we're, if we're sending in, if we're putting this in a giant magnet, you know, we're actually going to be able to detect the differences between oxygenated and deoxygenated blood. Mm. And so when we're, when I say brain signal, we're literally measuring like that difference between oxygenated and deoxygenated blood, which gives us an idea of what part of this brain is active. Right. Right. We're we're following. We're following. We're still with it. Still with it. For sure. Cool. Okay. And then, so with resting state, MRI. Um, this is the brain at rest. You've heard of like task-based fMRI, right? So that's like, that's like when you go into a scanner and you like push a button, for example. And so you're like pushing a button off the button, pushing the button off the button. And then with, with task-based MRI, you measure the difference between the brain when you're pushing the button and when you're not pushing the button. And then you get, you can figure out like, okay, what parts of the brain are contributing to this like motor movement that's happening, right? And then with resting state, they're actually regions of the brain that are communicating when you're just not doing anything. And, and they're just, yeah, they're just, so that, that signal, that brain signal, that bold signal is actually correlated. And so we're, we're measuring what parts of the brain, the activity, what parts of the brain are, uh, correlated with the activity of other parts of the brain, right? And we're determining like, what, what are these networks based on that? Mm. So, um, so like an example of a network, there's something called the default mode network, mm. which is this, this network in your brain that's active anytime you're at rest. So anytime you're not doing anything, this brain network comes online. Mm. Uh, and it's actually, it's interesting because there are a lot of studies that link it to like your ability to meditate, like your ability to achieve a meditative state. Like if you have more uh, interconnectivity between the default mode network, you're better able to achieve a meditative state. Um, and some studies have talked this about like- This is something for my, for my listeners, yeah. uh, something that they're- often interested in uh, i believe a lot of psychedelics yeah. knock out the default uh mode network that's interesting mm-hmm. but yeah so and then there's also like the salience network the salience network is all these brain regions that are responsible for a detecting what's going on like what you should be paying attention to and yeah it's basically responsible for you directing your attention it's like is this information salient or not uh and it switches between your default mode network and your uh your like attentional control network right so you have you've got your salience network in the middle you've got default mode network over here you've got like your attentional control networks over here and the salience network is basically saying all right is this is this a thing we need to pay attention to um yes let me tell these attentional control networks we need to really like you know pay attention or no let's calm down 
default mode networks. Mm-hmm. So Salience Network is responsible for kind of switching between these two. Uh, and I'm mentioning these networks because these are the networks that I'm interested in and that I, I, I'm hypothesizing will contribute to emotion regulatory ability mm. um, just based on their, on their roles. Uh, what do you think is the the roles of them so i think um i definitely think that like within network connectivity with the salience network um is going to be predictive of better emotion regulatory ability because i think if this network is you know more tightly connected at birth uh maybe it'll do a better job of switching between these two also between network connectivity with the salience network and default mode network and attention network is really going to help you you know kind of switch between these two states like this rest and like attentional state uh, and I guess I, I need to backtrack a little bit. So we know that we don't necessarily know exactly what these networks look like at birth, but we have an idea based on based on other studies. So other studies have looked at uh, kind of less less detailed brain data. So they've they've kind of they've kind of looked at like at like averaged data. So I, so I mentioned that we're looking at like individual networks now, right? Um, so previous studies have, have looked at networks at birth, but they've done it based on kind of like an averaged, uh, you know, a bunch of baby brains, uh, averaged together. We, we get an idea of what the network might, networks might look like. And we're realizing that those networks are actually very similar to adult networks. And that a lot of these networks that we see in adults are actually already online during the newborn period. Mm. Um, so it's a matter of, uh, really determining, like, are they exactly in the same regions? That's like one of the questions we're asking, uh, and and what does their connectivity look like? Mm. You know. So, the the networks that we see as adults yeah. that, that we're familiar with from yeah. uh, studying adults are online this early at birth. At, at birth, yeah. So we already see like neural correlates of these same networks at birth during the newborn period. So like babies have a default mode network, babies have a salience network. Uh, and we, we know that they exist, but we don't necessarily know exactly where they are in the brain. Mm-hmm. So that's what we're trying to, hmm. so we're trying to flesh out. And maybe, maybe there are other systems online that we're not aware of. You know, maybe there's, maybe there's no, another network that exists at birth that we'll, we'll, we'll discover. Um, so is there, is there existing, um, research regarding, so you, so you see this emotion regulation at six months old, and you say that it is predictive of various disorders like ADHD, yeah. that sort of, uh, what is, uh, I know this isn't exactly your research, but I imagine you're familiar with the research. Can you give us just like a summary of, of like some how, of the, how some, it relates to future behaviors? Fun- yeah. Yeah. So, um, emotion regulatory behavior at six months of age is linked to internalizing and externalizing behaviors in childhood and adolescence and uh when i say like externalizing behavior i mean like like temper tantrums Mm -hmm. so if you if you have a hard time regulating your emotions uh, at six months of age you're more likely to engage in say an externalizing behavior like throwing tantrums all the time or an internalizing behavior which is like anxiety like just like worrying and Mm -hmm. really or like internalizing things that happen and feeling like you know they're your fault and you feel bad about them and that that whole anxious depressive cycle that whole that whole thing mm-hmm. hmm. um oh and then um and then we know that you know if you have internalizing externalizing behaviors in childhood and adolescence you're much more likely to end up with a psychopathology later on so it's kind of this like three you know three-step link yeah yeah <laughs> that is 
Ah, uh, that is. I feel. I find that kind of depressing. <laughs> no, a bit. Is it, it's not. Uh, it's no? not depressing. It's I don't think it's depressing. I, I think that, it's like that. You're set up. That you're like. <laughs> oh, this kid's whiny at six months. Now they're they're going to be. Uh, they're going to have issues. As they a they might have issues, right. right? So they just they just have like a higher likelihood of getting issues. But I mean, the the nice thing about looking at this so early is your brain is the most plastic during the first year of life, mm. uh, which means that there's there's a a whole lot of room for intervention. There's a whole right. lot of room for intervention. And honestly, even before, I mean, it, there's always room for intervention. I like heavily encourage therapy, meditation, all of that stuff for everybody. Right. But especially like the younger you are, the more likely you are to be able to change these, these circuits. Like you're so not in the future, you're going to be screening babies <laughs> just right out of, they're going to pop out. You're going to throw them in a, you're going to bubble wrap them and everything and throw them and get them sleeping. And then you're going to, you're like, going to know a... everything about, about what they're, what, what they're, um, kind Kind of uh, susceptible uh, to in the future, and then you can potentially have potentially intervene behavioral interventions. Yeah, that's an interesting that's an interesting idea, right? Is it's like what does what is the real life application of this work going to really look like? Uh, and and I think it's going to be more of uh, assessing assessing risk um, even prior to to these scans because we know if we know infants who come from a fa- we have a family history of like trauma, right? Mm-hmm. So if, if your mom has a history of trauma, if she's experienced some trauma in her childhood, she's that infant is then susceptible to, you know, potentially having these like brain connections that are not, you know, uh, I, I guess most, most ideal. Right. Uh, and so maybe, maybe we'd scan those babies. Uh, or maybe alternatively, we figure out uh, an environmental intervention that works and then we just heavily encourage everybody to, you know, do this do this with your babies like yeah, like right. like we know that like the maternal bond and uh the your bond that you have with your parents and like how much your parents validate your emotions and your feelings like that that's huge that's huge in terms of your development and and uh when you're a baby something as simple as just like you know crying and having mom like acknowledge that and take care of you um is really crucial like that ability to be able to detect your infant's emotional state and then kind of respond to it right how are you able to account for uh the the many environmental differences that is so you yeah you get this fresh baby super fresh uh, super fresh, <laughs> super fresh. <laughs> pack them up yeah. throw them in and then six months later check in again well between that time mm-hmm. and those six months mm-hmm. this this baby might have been cared for by predominantly the father predominantly mm-hmm. the mother predominantly like in some sort of a daycare or something like that or mm-hmm. by the grandparents mm-hmm. uh, income differences uh diet differences yeah how, yeah. how are how do you consider all that yeah yeah so we um so we have a measure called the home inventory which basically involves a trained observer going into the infant's home uh and measuring like maternal responsivity uh, maternal responsivity is, is the mom's ability to respond to these infant cues, uh, measuring the organization of the home, like, you know, how, how organized it, is it in here? Um, and then, like, the number of toys and the quality of the toys that the infant has access to. And so we have a trained observer going into the home and actually, like, assessing the environment. Mm. Uh, and that's a measure that we consider. We also consider um, – so the study that we're doing now, these are in normal infants. And when I say – I don't like using the word normal, and honestly, I shouldn't use the word normal, but they're, they're just infants that don't have a history of mental illness. So mom, mom doesn't have mental illness, dad doesn't have mental illness. There's no immediate family members that have any sort of mental illness. Uh, and so, so that's, that's kind of an attempt to screen for that, like, you know, genetic component, uh, cause we want to figure out what, what, nor- what systems in, in, uh, 
what's a better word for normal? There's got to be something better. And I just don't, I just don't like that term yeah, to right. describe like, yeah, like you're um, not abnormal just because average, you have a mental. Average, like, like health, healthy. Yeah. All these terms are know. really, yeah. Yeah. All Who these cares? terms are, I mean, yeah. Like I'm, <laughs> I would say that I'm an abnormal person and I'm not ashamed of that. <laughs> not anyway. ashamed. Yeah. Yeah. We're, yeah. We're, 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 we're not saying normal is good or bad. That's, that's we're, a good point. We're neutral on normal, neutral but normal still a thing. Still a thing, yeah. yeah. All right, so I guess I'll, I'll stick with I'll stick with normal. So normal, normal babies, uh, and yeah, that's that's our attempt to uh, um, control for you know this genetic component of mental health. You're gonna have a whole another set of protesters out there. Oh no, with <laughs> normal signs. <laughs> We are not neutral on normal. We are not normal. (laughs) Stop sedating babies. Stop sedating normal babies. Um, um, So you you don't ever have to be like, oh, that's a bad mom. That's like, we can't, we can't get, that's just garbage data. We can't, we can't use that. No. I mean, I guess, I guess if there was like extreme variation, that's something we would take into consideration. I see. With the data. Um, but yeah, we're not gonna, we're not gonna throw anything. Sorry, lady, we can't pack your baby. (laughs) No, but you have to pack my baby. I've been looking forward to this. Oh, my baby would be really packed in there. Um, yeah, so I guess when we when we screened for the study to begin with, we were recruiting moms without a history of mental illness. Um, okay. But then, but then there's always the possibility that like there are things that haven't been diagnosed, right? Right. So it, it's it's one of those things where there are only so many things you can really control mm. for, and there's also this idea that if if we do see an effect without having controlled for all these things, then it's probably a pretty big effect, right? Mm. Like you're not controlling all these like tiny different components, and then seeing an effect, it's like despite all of this variability, we still saw something. Mm. So how long do you expect this? Well, so you, so you had 26, uh, right? So we had – so actually, so we started out with 47 babies. For, okay. We started out with 47 participants. Yeah. Uh, that went down to 25 scans because it's just it's just really hard. We recruit moms in their third trimester of pregnancy. Mm-hmm. And it's it's really hard to have them come in right after birth, you know, because it's like a, it's a super busy period of time. Like you're exhausted. There could be medical complications. And so we'll have a lot of we'll have a lot of moms after birth just won't want to come in, which is yeah. everyone when you're totally pregnant, uh, packing a baby, like everyone's <laughs> excited to do it. Everyone's like, sure, everyone's you like, can pack my baby. Really and then you have the reality. Once you have the kid, you're tired. Yeah. 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 So. So that's definitely part of it. And then, um, yeah, out of 47, we got 25 scans. And out of 25 <laughs> scans, we got 11 babies who uh, only pooped during, like, their first scan during the scan yeah. or, like, you know, the good maybe the good, the good, the good babies. Yeah. We had uh, one baby who just, like, farted throughout the scan. And I was like, this is an interesting form of uh, motion noise. This did did like... you see what was going on in the, <laughs> in the, <laughs> in the brain, brain at the time? Yeah, it yeah. would actually be really awesome to measure, like... Like what brain activity corresponds to just like farting, yeah. you know, that'd be pretty awesome. Yeah. Unfortunately, we only have like an N of one. But, I, I I think yeah. we unfortunately we live in a world where where uh um like the the pop uh, science or like the the different you know mainstream news outlets <laughs> or whatever would be uh, far more interested in like <laughs> here's what happens when you fart than, than like I am, I am, regulation. I am open else. to funding for farting babies. <laughs> I yeah, I mean it's all the same. You're throwing them in there anyway. You yeah. might as well. <laughs> might as 
we'll do it. Get whatever else you can. <laughs> yeah. So, so this is, and then will you do uh, another round after, or is it is like the study over after you've after the six month period and you've collected what? Yeah. So after after the um yeah after we collect all this data, then we get to process all the data, which is going to be uh. It, we're actually working on processing the data now, and it's interesting just because um, you've got to you have to take all these additional considerations with the infant brain. So if you look at the infant brain, they're uh, they're super folded. They're super folded. They have way more gyri, way more folds, and they're also the brain is also way closer to the skull. And when we're looking at when we're looking at brain data, we want to make sure that we're not you know considering the skull in there. Mm-hmm. And so we actually need to like I've spent a lot of days and a lot of hours like manually you know like tracing the brain and getting rid of like the skull and it's it's kind of I probably shouldn't even, I probably shouldn't even use this term on the podcast. We can edit it out if it's a bad term, but we call it skull stripping. So we're like no, I love it. I love, we're like we're skull stripping yeah. babies, and it sounds like so morbid, and so like I have like <laughs> no. notes that are like you need to skull strip like ten babies, and I'm like <laughs> if anybody else saw this, they would just be like, who are you? <laughs> what is wrong? Context with you? Context is everything. Context is very important. <laughs> so so skull skull stripping is a, is a huge you know is a huge like issue in the process, and also since these brains are so folded, it's really hard to pick out these like anatomical structures. And so there's a lot of work that gets into like pro- goes into processing this data. Hmm. So after we acquire the data, we're gonna be we're gonna be processing for like probably a year, uh, and then and then one day we'll write a paper. <laughs> awesome. And then one day before I die, I'll solve mental illness. Yeah. I'll just solve the whole thing. Yeah, you will. <laughs> like. Uh- <laughs> Yeah, just get rid of it. <laughs> just, it's just not even won't even uh, be a thing anymore. <laughs> wow, when I was your age, it felt like we were having to walk uphill both ways, so we wouldn't bother. <laughs> so we had this thing called depression. Kids, kids won't even understand. That will be. I'm gonna be like when people are like, they have it too easy these days. I'm always like, well, isn't that like the point? Aren't we supposed to be progressing and like yeah. making life easier for future generations and whatnot? But if kids 20 years from now, uh, I mean, I guess I'll be happy for it. if they like no longer experience yeah. chronic depression and anxiety. Yeah. I'm gonna be like, you lucky. <laughs> Son of a guns. Uh, I will be a little jealous. Um, right? Yeah. But uh, in the meantime, I'm just going to keep on telling myself that I'm gleaning all of these valuable lessons from my own mental health issues and inner inner worlds that that these young kids might not uh, might not know about in the <laughs> might future. Not get in the future, yeah. Um, well, well, that's uh, well. Cheers to you. I, I wish you the best of luck Thanks. curing all of our problems. <laughs> For us and saving the world. I just want to save the world. Yeah, well, I hope you do it. You might as well. Someone, someone might as well give it a shot. Got to try it out. Yeah. yeah. Okay. You know, you can always give up on it in a decade or so. Like, but he's, I, I think uh, this sounds amazing. I think the ability to regulate emotions better and yeah. uh, thinking about something where you can screen someone and know within a few months time yeah. various exercises that we could develop yeah. for ba- uh, something that you could correct 
before a, a person, before a human being even has to remember that experience yeah. of having those tantrums and everything else yeah. and, then, and, and have them off on their way living a productive and happy life. I mean, that, that, that could be absolutely amazing. Yeah. Well, good luck to you. Thank you. I have my guests each week uh, name a charity of their choice. All right, so I am naming NAMI Organ. So this is the National Association. I think it's the National Association of Mental Institute. I'm, I'm messing up the acronym, but it's NAMI Organ, N-A-M-I Organ. And it is one of the few nonprofit organizations in Oregon that uh, helps reduce stigma against mental illness. Uh, and they also provide services for homeless youth and uh, other homeless individuals and people who just can't afford uh, therapy. Mm, and it's yeah that's important <laughs> yeah yeah for for my listeners that live in portland they understand yes. <laughs> an especially big issue around here yeah uh well thank you elena for coming on the show i really appreciate yeah. it fascinating stuff and thank you listeners for being such wonderful curious people i'll talk with you next week Next week on the podcast, I have Joe Redden on. I'm in Minneapolis talking about satiation. And it uh, it's a fantastic field talking about our appetite for all things, uh, for eating, for adventure, for money, and, and what what kind of principles alter how, how you perceive how kind of quote-unquote full you are. And uh, spoiler alert, there's a whole lot more to it than just having a full belly there's a million variables out there fascinating fascinating stuff this is this is something that applies to basically every facet of life but especially if you're someone who is is trying to figure out a kind of a a practical easy way to um to maybe eat a little healthier or monitor what you eat there's a there's a lot of great um, little bits of info in this episode uh, specifically uh, for you that I think is is really going to blow your mind and, and uh, not only be easier and free, free practices to do, um, but work a whole lot better than whatever uh, your current diet fad by just implementing some kind of, we talk about mindful uh, the mindful eating craze and kind of what works and what doesn't. And, uh, yeah, really important, fantastic episode. Joe, uh, Joe Redden is a really fantastic communicator. One of these guys you'll be able to hear that I sit down with and just super enthusiastic and just really, really knows his stuff and how to explain it really well and communicate it to, uh, people like me, people and people, uh, like you guys as well. So, Really accessible, but at the same time, mind-blowing and just kind of everything this podcast is all about. So tune in for that one. Please do not forget to spread the word June 15th at 5 p.m. Psychonautics, a comics exploration of psychedelics at the Dances with Films Festival in Los Angeles at the TCL Chinese Theater. Go to psychonauticsfilm.com, or if that's too hard for you to spell, go to shanemossmauss.com. There's plenty of links from there, or go to the herewearepodcast.com, and there's a link, 
the banner on the top of the page there as well. And, and in that, to hear about the after party, you're going to want to go to the screenings page. That's going to help you out. So check that out. Um, those of you that listen all the way to the end, you are, of course, my favorites.